Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Re- Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power Calls, welcome. This is Susan Shereko. Welcome. Joining us today is Grace Walker, who has written a book called Now I Can Think Myself to Mars. This book is her very personal journey after her son passed away. And I'd like to start our interview today with Grace talking about how this came to be. So please, wave your hands to welcome Grace Walker. Hello, Grace. Welcome. Hello. How are you today? I am so fine. Looking forward to the holidays. Oh, me too. <laughs> I really am. And uh, I'm glad to be here with you. Oh, well, I'm glad you're here too. It's always fun. We're going to talk about something very interesting today, Grace. Um, you lost your son in 1992, but you didn't publish this book until 2016. When did you decide to write, Now I Can Think Myself to Mars? Well, actually, I decided to write this book back in 1992, and I knew I would be writing this book. Um, Actually, he passed away in June, the week before Father's Day, and his birthday was on Thanksgiving Day that year, so he would have been nine years old. And a couple of days before his birthday, I woke up with his voice running through my mind, and he said, Mom, remember when I could ride my bike so fast with the wind whistling through my hair? Now I can think myself to Mars. And then from then, I, I woke up, I came fully awake, and I thought, oh, my, I've got to write this down. So I grabbed some paper and pen I keep by my bed in case I have these awesome thoughts in the middle of the night that you don't remember the next morning. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed my pen and I started writing. And as I wrote, I thought of other things he said the day before. And, you know, in the previous, like, maybe a week or two before he passed away suddenly. And as I wrote those, I wrote them as, Mom, remember when? And then, and w- which were actual things that he said. And then I wrote the rest that says, Now I can. And I pictured what his reality is now that he's mm-hmm. gone, what his current reality is, and what he had said. And that became a poem. So then, um, and then as I shared this poem with people that I knew, family members, close friends, and they would ask me questions about what he said and, and, and how that related to what was going on. And so... In the book, I wrote the, I put the poem in a, in a conversational text, like Mom Remember When and then Now I Can format. And each one of those is followed by a letter from me saying, Dear Nathan. And then I would explain to an audience by ta- in my conversation with him, I would be able to explain how the poem came to be, how that section of the poem related to his life. 
answering all the questions that people would ask me about it. So as that process went on for a few months, then I knew I would write this point, this book at some point, but I didn't know when. And somewhere around 2014 or so, I think, okay, now's the time to start, start writing the book. So mm. I wrote it, and then since it's, it's not just from 1992, but here in essence, I've got like 25 years of living Amazing, after he was it? gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so then so then how those so I just collected a lot of writings that I had written in that twenty five years and how they still related and what I would want to say to him about those writings. So I wrote those also as Dear Nathan letters, even though they happened mm-hmm. as if I'm and it wasn't like, you know, I'm speaking to him and he's speaking to me. It's I wrote them as if he's just in another city maybe on the other side of the world, and I'm writing him about what's happening in my life since he's been gone. Mm-hmm. So they still yes. relate to him because, you know, he's still my son. He's not, yeah. he's not living in my house anymore, just like your kids grow up and they, they go off to their own lives and he's got his own life now. But I would still write them as letters to him. Which is so, really quite beautiful. For the sake of our readers and listeners here, uh, can you fill us in what happened to Nathan? Uh, Nathan, he's like, you know, eight and a half, and he would periodically, over like six, seven months, he would have abdominal pain, um, nausea and vomiting, and end up in the hospital. And there were, he was hospitalized a couple of times. And he would be in there two or three days. And all these episodes, they could never figure out what was going on. He had all these testings, like I said, in the hospital, uh, excruciating pain. And then three days later, he's out playing baseball, you know. Mm. And he was, a, he was the pitcher for his team. He played with the older kids, the ones a year or two older than him because he was so good. He skipped mm. t-ball, you know, and went on to <laughs> little, little League. But he's... Um, so he would he was a great pitcher. So he actually pitched strikes, you know. You know, sometimes they strike them out because kids can't hit the ball, but right. even if they didn't swing, he still struck them out. And he he might pitch a no-hitter the whole game 2 yeah. days later after being in the hospital. So this was going on and we had no idea until you know, after his death that it was a twisted blood vessel in his abdomen. Oh, wow. And he was, he, he had, um, in reading the book, Nathan had a, a very special quality about him. He, he appears to have had a real connection with God and with Jesus, a sense of knowing that, that seems far beyond his years. Um, would you agree that, that that's true of him? Oh, definitely. He was, you know, it's, Funny because he he was so trustworthy too. I could send him out to do things that sometimes if you think you probably wouldn't even ask a twelve year old to take that responsibility, not driving to the store or anything. I don't mean that kind of thing, but you know, but he was just a responsible kid. But also in just his discussions about life and things like that. I I know my one of my cousins 
moved to Cincinnati area, and she was staying with us for six, seven months before she got her own place and a job and everything. And I remember several times hearing her say, you know, because I'm working in the kitchen and they're maybe at the table talking, and her saying to him, Nathan, you're just too deep for someone your age. You know, because he, 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 he would get into these discussions that were very he mature. Was far I guess more, I was used to it, but far more aware than the average person, a grown person even, let alone mm-hmm. a child. So, were you also, that was a very powerful um, time while he was in the hospital preparing to transition. And, and you just, as you describe it, you didn't leave the hospital, the room where he was, you stayed with him. And so you were abs- you were able to experience what he what Nathan was was seeing and experiencing himself. You were part of it. Um, can you describe that? Because it is a really uh, poignant moment. Uh, you know, it's it's been twenty five years, but mm-hmm. it's still very emotional, of course. So sometimes emotions, you know, as everyone out there, we've all, you know, had losses in our lives. And, you know, you're doing fine, and all of a sudden, it's just you have an emotional moment about it. Mm-hmm. But um, we got to the hospital, uh, and our doctors, we, we were traveling. See, the day before, we were going to see from Cincinnati to St. Louis to see my parents. And... Um, so as we traveled, see a lot of the a lot of his poem in the front of the book, his conversation comes from that day of travel, because you're in mm-hmm. the car for eight hours and they're listening to some Bible story tapes that my mom had given them, you know, like the <laughs> eight track type, you know, mm-hmm. the old timey type tapes, right? And right. Um, I'm amazed you had a question. Yes, and then. Uh, so he would ask questions or talk about them or give his thoughts about them. But the doctors had, you know, they had already notified Children's Hospital in St. Louis that, you know, if Nathan came in, you know, what, what was going on with him. And so we already had this connection there that we could go to. So um, we get to the hospital, you know, so he does have pain, you know, and it's, the next morning by then it's really bad and we're going to the hospital. When we get to the hospital, um, we go in and then it's, it's crisis time almost immediately getting into the, into the room. And, uh, I know there was, um, they told me I had to go out and I said, no, I'm not leaving. And they sent security to come and take me out. (laughs) And I said, don't touch me. If you touch me, you will have the biggest lawsuit on your hands ever. I will sit over here on top of this table because it was away from where he was. It was mm-hmm. across the room. I'll sit, I'll sit right on top of this table and I will stay there. But I am going to be in this room. And the reason I did that, and then I could per- periodically, the security guy would be pacing back and forth looking in the window to see if he needed to come in and grab me or something. Mm-hmm. But um, I did that for a very, very, very special reason. And that's because my mom had asthma when she, 
you know, when I was a kid. And so I've heard stories of, you know, she's had like three uh, after, I call them near-death experiences, but I guess I would call them near-life experiences because you're more alive after this life than you are now. So mm-hmm. an after, after-life experience. So, mm-hmm. but I remember her talking about it, and she said one time she was in the emergency room, as you can see my dad there, and and the doctor's working on her, and she's up, and she's at the top of the hospital room, looking down mm-hmm. on everything. Mm-hmm. And then her brother, who had died a couple years before that, met her at the top of the hospital room, and he traveled with her to heaven, trying to convince her to stay in heaven, but she's got. You know, she's got six kids at home. And oh, wow. so, so she didn't, you know, I don't want to leave my kids. She had another one after that. But she didn't want to leave her children. And, you know, it would be nice. And I know I have to stay if God wants me to. So she came to she came to a river in in heaven. And she saw Jesus standing on the other side of the river. And she watched his hands. And she knew if he reached his hands out toward her, she would stay in heaven. And if not, she'd come back. And I remember as a kid saying to her, you didn't look at his face? <laughs> How did you not look at his face? What do you mean Just, you look at his hands? But that's what she was focused on because she knows if he doesn't reach out to me, I'm going back. And then he didn't. And then she swiveled around as if she was sitting on something. And she swiveled around, and then immediately she was back in her body. So I had always remembered that. And another time when, you know, she saw things. But that's the only time that she went all the way to heaven. But I knew that she was aware of what was going on. And I wanted Nathan to know that I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't right. leave, and I was there. And that's why I was sitting in, on that table and refused to leave the room. Is mm-hmm. because I wanted because I saw how how what crisis mode we were in, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I did I did not want to leave. I wanted him to know I was there, and I think I was just I was I'm really glad that I did because of what my last view of him was not him lying on the table. My last view was I, when I saw it was over and the doctors just hadn't, you know, they were, they were going to, it was going to be the end. And so I turned away from watching and I, I turned to the side and I looked at the wall and I saw Jesus standing there and Nathan was standing right Beside, well, it was a little bit behind him, but off to the side, peeking around the corner, mm-hmm. you know, peeking mm-hmm. around Jesus' side, like a kid, you know, who just a young child who hides behind their mother, but they still want to peek out and see who's right, who's right. out there, and that's what mm-hmm. it was like. But I couldn't see their expressions or their faces because they were glowing so white. It's like the light was so bright. I, I just. I saw them, but I could tell they were in robes, mm-hmm. and they were standing there. And then Jesus looked at me, and he just said, it's okay. And I felt such peace. It just flowed over me. I couldn't 
it's hard to describe. It's just I felt it, and I, uh, and then, then when, you know, and the doctors had all left the room, and I mean, and that was just a moment or two of seeing them. But then when the doctors left the room, then the nurses allowed me to, you know, help them. Like I I washed Nathan's face, put a clean gown on him, and I was helping him do that. But while I was doing that, I was telling them everything Nathan talked about the day before. The things you'll read in the book in Nathan's poem. Mm -hmm. The mom, Mm -hmm. remember when, now I can. But now mm-hmm. I can part I hadn't written yet. But I told you, I told him all about the things he had talked about, about what his body would be like, what he would be able to do, and um, just to be able to tell him that it was amazing. That is amazing. I'm sure that those are, you know, they're going to be upset by the stories, you know, by the situation themselves, and to hear that message. That, that mm. Jesus was there and he was with Nathan and it's okay. It's very powerful. Okay. I mean, it's healing. It's healing. Mm-hmm. Well, Grace, that, that brings me to my next question, which is this is just such a painful uh, moment for any mom. What helped you get through losing your son? Well, with that, that peace started it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the... Uh, the peace, and also knowing where he was. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I lost him because I knew where he was. You know, I didn't have him with me, but I knew where he was, and he was in heaven. And uh, now that people are probably still wondering, I was like, now I can take myself to Mars. What does that got to do with anything? <laughs> well, it's because, you know, in the... And this, the subtitle of this book is A Son's Final Goodbye, A Mother's Journal of Renewal. So Nathan's final goodbye to me was his conversation. And part of that was when he was saying, Mom, when I die, I mean, remember, he's a relatively healthy kid. He's, he's only, you know, a couple of days every week or two or maybe every three mm-hmm. weeks. Mm-hmm. So he's just really healthy kid, plays ball, you know, plays with his friends, has a good time. And we're and we're driving and he says, Mom, when I die and get new my new body like Jesus, the Bible says you're gonna have a body like Jesus, right? And I said, Yes, that's what it says. He says, well, When I die and get my new body like Jesus, I'll be able to travel really fast because I bet Jesus travels fast. And he was silent for a moment or two. He goes, no, he doesn't. Jesus doesn't have to travel anywhere. He just thinks himself someplace. So when I die and get my new body like Jesus, I can think myself to Mars. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the title of the book comes. It comes from, it comes from Nathan. Yes. <laughs> it's a t- totally different sense of time and space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you have any passages from that portion of the book that that really you think would be helpful in understanding um, what happened? Um, yes, I do think that that particular one, as I've told you, the now, you know, the the before and the now. But I'll read 
some of, I guess there's, there's one just a little bit after that. He says, um, Mom, remember when, and then remember, like after I say remember when, then it's his actual words. Mm-hmm. I said that babies are lucky because they get to be with Jesus, but they're unlucky because they don't get to have a life here. Now, I'm lucky because I get to see Jesus, and I'm not unlucky because I had a life on earth, too. Love, Mom. And then I, this is my letter, is an example of a letter to him. This is my letter back to him regarding that. Dear Nathan, you are one of those individuals who know how to fully enjoy the moments of your life. Baseball, family, friends, playing, creek walking, swimming, swinging, biking, and hiking at the lake. There was so much exuberance in the things you did. I remember looking out the kitchen window one blustery winter day. There you and your dad were leaning back into the wind at almost a 45-degree angle. Then you just let yourself go and were blown across the yard. There are people who are content to watch the excitement, but you were compelled to experience the moments presented to you. This was indeed a great gift. The Word teaches us to live life today trusting in Father God because we do not know what tomorrow holds and each day has its own trouble. Even with uncertainties, especially after hospitalizations, you still enjoyed your todays. I am so glad that you were able to also enjoy the promise of the Father to take care of your tomorrows. I know you are having fun in your great hereafter. Love, Mom. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's so great. Well, that's that brings us to the fact that the book is also divided into three parts. The first mm-hmm. part are all of Nathan's conversations with you and the poems and your thoughts. And then in the second part, your husband writes. And what um, did, what, was it hard for him to come to grips with this? Uh, was to write this material, and were you able to support one another through this whole situation? Well, actually, the words that he wrote, he didn't know he was writing for this book. (laughs) Because some of those words, although they're applicable to losing a child, he was actually writing, like, the poems. He wrote... um, because of what he had been going through in life. He had uh, chronic Epstein-Barr back in the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, like late 80s, and he had chronic fatigue after that. And it was mm-hmm. one of the beginning of them recognizing the connection between the two. And so he struggled with his health the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And so the poems he wrote... Uh, was really about a dark time that you've been in and you're coming out of, and you can begin to see the light. And I, I put them in the book because they were applicable to what we were experienced after Nathan was gone. Mm-hmm. He didn't, I mean, it was a much more severe thing that we were going through with Nathan being gone, but the poem still applied to a dark period in your life. And uh, so he wrote about coming out of that and the return of laughter. And uh, 
so he really didn't know he was writing for my book. <laughs> you know, because I didn't write the book until after he had passed away. He he died in a car accident in uh, in 2010. So, and if you remember, I I didn't write the book till I began writing the book really in about 2014. So it took me about a year and a half to write the book. That that must have been a terrible blow on top of losing Nathan. Um, what what did you? But but here we are, another you know, ten years plus. What what have you done with your life since losing him? Well, we had been planning. Um, he died in February. It was this, you know, combined uh, snowy winter day with a narrow winding country road and uh, a head-on collision with another car. So uh, that started his journey. So that was in February. But we had been planning to move back to New Mexico, which is where I was from. And we were going to move back there. I just have a job possibility and uh, be there for a couple of years and then like retire there. So after he was gone and I wasn't able to work for like eight months because I had to recover from my injuries and learn to mm-hmm. walk again, et cetera. Uh-huh. And, uh, so that summer, part of my recovery was my daughter and I, who was, you know, in her early 20s at that point, was uh, mid-20s actually. Was she but in we, the car too? No, just the two oh. of us. But she took care of mm-hmm. me after after the accident and and uh so um so we went and just spent the summer in the mountains in New Mexico like about 7000 feet and so mm-hmm. I would walk and you know I just you know I was at that point I was just walking with a cane so we spent the time there but and then I, and then I worked a couple more years in Cincinnati and then I decided to just retire and I moved to New Mexico you know, because we had my husband, I've been planning on doing that anyway. So I, I moved back to New Mexico and, and, uh, was near, you know, my brothers and my dad was still alive the last year I was there. So it was, that's, that's what I did. And then was out there for several years and then moved back to Cincinnati. Just, you know, I'd come back and forth a lot. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you take up and did you study anything new? Did you take up some new activity that you hadn't done before? Well, I I didn't fully retire into New, to New Mexico. I for the last 20 years and 19 years of my I was a nurse practitioner. So, mm-hmm. I practiced part-time, you know, half-time, 50%, and then I taught at the university. So, um in nurse practitioner programs there. So mm-hmm. I did that the last 19 years. And then I, they moved me to online. And so that allowed me to go ahead and move to New Mexico early. So I mm. did that for a couple of years and, uh, and then just came back periodically. You know, the dean said, I don't, you can go to New Mexico, just come back a couple of times a year <laughs> in a meeting, you know, because everything was online. Because sure. I was teaching on the online program. So that worked out really well. But then I got so busy that I didn't have time. I felt like I didn't have time to work <laughs> anymore. So then I retired. I went ahead and retired, retired. You know, because yes. I was rehabbing yes. houses with my brothers. And that's, that's a lot of work. 
That's that, a that lot of work to flip. Yeah. Yeah, so we were doing that, and I was in one of my letters to Nathan, just at the end of the book, not his poem at the beginning, but I would just write letters about what was going on in my life. And so mm-hmm. I'm talking about, you know, retiring and flipping houses and stuff and saying, boy, be glad you've got your mansion prepared for you <laughs> by Jesus. <laughs> you didn't have to build it. And when then I relate, <laughs> I relate what he and, and Shannon is my daughter. So mm-hmm. Nathan and Shannon would say, I mean, they were like six and eight and Nathan was older, six and eight. And they would, they would laugh at me about some things and they'd say, Oh, when, if we get to heaven before you do, we're going to help Jesus build your mansion and we're going to put geese on the porch with clothes on them. <laughs> and I'd say, Oh no, you won't. And they say, Cause they, they knew how, how I just, I, I just, I couldn't stand looking at this. We lived in the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, every Sunday we're going off to church in the next little town and all these <laughs> geese parading on, you know, people's front porches, their clothes. Front porches, yes, yes. And I, I, I just, I just could, it just made my skin crawl. So they say, <laughs> I say, oh, no, you want. They won't tease you. They say, would tease you. Yeah, and then Nathan would say, "Oh yes, I will too." <laughs> so that's still a little funny yes. thing, just to yes. remember that. Yeah, that you did that. It'll be funny if I when I get to heaven, if you know, there's a if you know, there's a goose with clothes <laughs> on a porch. <laughs> that would be Grace. Is there a message that you think Nathan would want your readers to take away from the book, or from him? I think. I think, you know, it's interesting you said that because um, the very last thing in in his poem at the, at the first half of the book, mm-hmm. or the first portion, is um, I'm talking about he and I sitting, well, I'll just read this part. It says, Mom, mm-hmm. remember when you and I sat on the white swinging chair in our yard? We discussed the upcoming trip. In a couple of days, you and I and Shannon were going to St. Louis. We're on the same team, Nathan, so I have to be able to rely on you. I answered as I held your hand and raised it in the air. We're a team, Mom. We're a team. Now, I've done my part with my conversation. You've got to do your part. Tell them I'm in heaven with Jesus. Tell them how to get here. Love, Nathan. So I think that um, that summarizes uh, his conversation to me is thinking about the friends he left behind, family he left behind, uh, maybe the people from his future that he never met because he mm-hmm. left it all behind, you know, when he mm-hmm. when he went, and how to tell someone like where I am. And how to get there. Because in this conversation, he talked about uh, one of the things he said, if babies don't know Jesus, how do they get to heaven? <laughs> you know, if you haven't had an opportunity to accept Christ into your heart, how do they get there? And I said, well, you, if, you, if you're not old enough to know right from wrong, either physically or in your mind, if people aren't never, maybe some people never grow up enough to know right from wrong, uh, then they go to heaven. And Nathan said, 
I don't know right from wrong. And I just said, oh, huh. And he was silent for a moment. And then he said, but mom, I have Jesus in my heart. Oh, so wow. what a beautiful And statement. that's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. like, yeah. that's the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so really, it, this even, is a beautiful book, Grace. It really is. Where Where can people find it? Well, actually, it's getting <laughs> republished. <laughs> so uh, by next week, I'll be able to tell you exactly where to get the book because uh, it's going to be coming out in another week or two from um, my pub- my new publishing company. And mm-hmm. uh, but right now, I, right now you can. Uh, there is a bookstore in New Jersey who has it, but that's the only physical bookstore that has mm-hmm. the book. But uh, is it on yeah, Amazon? It is on Amazon right now. Yes, it is. Do you do any public speaking where people can hear you talk about this? I have on occasion. That's what I'm uh, looking forward to getting into more. Mm-hmm. And my goal uh, that I'll be doing that, um, I do have a, a, I do have a website, which mm-hmm. I have, I've been sort of unconscious the last four years, <laughs> as far as what I'm doing in my life. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I, I got this when I got the book. Then I, I got a website, and I have a, a few things on there. And then I went silence. I think I was waiting for the recording to start. Someone said radio silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was silent for a while, but I was silent for quite a while. But the things right. I have on there are great. And I thought, before I talk to Susan, I've got to put another posting up so they know that I'm still alive. But it's <laughs> it's marswalker.net. So M-A-R-S, Walker, one word, Mars Walker. So I I thought that sounded pretty cool. That is pretty cool to compared Mars, to the yeah. book. That's right. And your last name. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So. Yeah, MarsWalker.net. Oh, but, uh, well, I want to thank you so much for visiting with us today, Grace, and for sharing your heavenly experience of now I can think myself to Mars. Um, and I'd like to thank our listeners as well. As a reminder, we've been talking with Grace Walker about her book, Now I Can Think Myself to Mars. It is a touching book filled with a sincere faith and relationship with God and Jesus and a walk with mother and son who were able to communicate so beautifully. So thank you again, Grace. We appreciate your taking the time to be with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity to speak to people about Nathan's vision of what his life was going to be like. Indeed. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, as we close out today's call, a thought about all the authors who have used writing to heal the greatest pains and problems in their lives. Their stories help us heal as well. So let's give thanks for all the writers who have had the courage to share their stories with all of us. So that's it for this program, everyone. Bye for now and have a great day. 
Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now. 